0: You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Ah, listeners, we're wrapping up here at the Kangini Eco Inspirations gathering uh, near Mariba and the Atherton Tablelands looking over some beautiful wetlands here and this is, uh, what is it, it's about the fifth day we've been camped here and uh, I'm joined by Kevin, my can and uh, has been entertaining me with a few thoughts about uh, what could happen in the world of uh, online trading. So Kevin, welcome to The Renegade Economists.
1: Uh, thank you, Carl. It's been a delight to be in your presence and to share some of my uh Life Stories with you. It's been received very well. It's You've certainly been a highlight to this uh, experience for me, being a new energy coming from my hometown back in uh, Braybrook and Maidstone. That's bizarre. So you went to Braybrook High School? Not the high school. I went to the Catholic College. Uh, okay. They call it Chisholm, Chisholm College, but it yep. was St. John's. It was a um, boys' school. And I lived in Maidstone after that for a big chunk of my life. Yeah, so... There's been a lot of things we've been able to relate with in economics and seeing the change of, of uh, how um, money has influenced development of, of living in those areas. You know, I, I always thought that if you increase the value of your property, that that should be an increase in spending on that street. So, you know, everything goes up by 100 grand. Well, yeah, you would expect 50 grand or 20 grand or 10 grand to go back into development of that street. But it, it doesn't work like that. The, the council don't have any access to that money and people don't want to surrender it because why should they surrender it even though the value of that property should reside with the value of that property in that location but somehow it gets exported out when that person moves to a new area and they benefit and then yeah those people buy products from another area and it keeps on expanding out and going to these other foreign entities through the uh the ease that it is to buy these products it's, this development of the throwaway society has occurred and so i've thought about that a lot and uh and i was driven to to work on a local based uh, economy like how, how can you move it to more uh, a local keep it in, in your local s- uh, sphere because that's yeah that's been a detriment that i could see to a lot of uh, towns it's like it always gets exported out. The efforts that the people do get exported out to another location, and in this world, that's that's the way it is. Uh, my my understanding is to observe what I see around me, and and instead of trying to, to change it, but to embrace it and say, "Oh, well, this is the way that the world is." So that that led me to uh, to develop the um, the concept, I suppose, of uh, uh, the. Ob- I, I call it um, Organican Nation, right? And that's been, a, it's been an evolution to get to that, to that area. So this
0: is a corporate entity or what are we talking about?
1: No, so the, the, the Organica uh, uh, thrust or energy came about through a police stop um, going to a festival. And uh, these foreigners who don't feed off the land in that area decided to set up a checkpoint to check people coming into that area and to me that seemed like oh, what what's going on here what gives them the authority to say what goes on behind it and uh, and so this comes down to this local thing if you feed and eat and drink from an area you have the authority more than someone that eats and drinks from another location Um, that's the organic sort of mode that I, I was in and I am a resident more so of this area, feeding and drinking from the land here. I should have the right to request who represents that land if they want me to enter and stop me. But someone that's feeding and drinking from another location don't have a place to do that, in my view. Mm. So that was the beginning of the Organica uh, development uh, cycle. So, So from there... Uh, just explored and played with it a little bit. Did a little presentation at Wallaby Creek uh, last year. The
0: folk festival, a huge folk festival up here near Cairns.
1: Yeah, that's right. I've been involved with a a lot of uh, political activists in in the northern Cairns area. Uh, There's influences all the time that we get from all different places. And this is like the same sort of thing as eating and drinking from the local water, feeding off the local community, is also an aspect that I see as important. So you're sourcing your information from those that are around you in your area.
0: And so this philosophy developed into something that you're working on as a, as a, a computer programmer and you've been involved in the world of share trading for quite a while.
1: Uh, yeah, so that's another aspect, I suppose, to, to come into it. I've always been idealistic, sort of uh, looking at solutions on a bigger scale and i've been involved with a lot of different communities and i saw the biggest issue was money it always drew people away from their time being able to put it into community they needed a job they needed to pay for their kids and that's you know it's undeniable you have to put food on the table now to grow food it takes a lot of time so my focus was on how can we make money and so that took me to the the money markets, which is the uh, indices and currencies. So I wrote a program to try to find uh, entry points, you know, like I'm an algorithm sort of driven person. So uh, I was working, I wrote a little algorithm, I thought it was successful, I quit my job and started getting engaged in that. From that it developed into more algorithms and finding different ways and there's a lot of stuff available online to, to go and use but I don't like using other people's stuff so I wrote everything myself and along my journey of this pursuit of money which is seems to be uh, against a lot of the groups that i talk with it's all like money is not the answer but that's not where i reside i i, I recognize it as what is there it's developed as a mechanism being very successful at people uh, exchanging freely with each other so it's there it's not something to be wiped off in the ideal world yes you can get rid of it but uh, the position i'm in it's, it's it's valuable and I see a lot of failings because they like people buy land to start a project and they run out of money to do anything mm. and they're not driven to make money from the property because they don't want money but then they have to borrow money or there's there's some sort of uh, catch with the current system you know people need cars and they need all these different things to get the jobs done so um so anyway so I developed I, I, I thought about that a lot and um i've written my own signal system to find uh, trends in in the market Um, and but what i realized was there's a a lot of signals that you can look at and what i understand is the the market is the market is driven by the people and one person's interpretation of that is never going to be as strong as many people's interpretation of that Uh, i find that people want to work independently instead of as a group in this, in this realm of trying to make profits for themselves. So uh, I've been working and thinking about a lot of different things and I, I've uh, developed a system of collaborative profit sharing, uh, much like the trust uh, system. Uh, we engage in a, a trust that any profits that are uh, derived go to for a central intention. So we send an intention of the group, 50% of the profits goes back to that group And 50% you can keep. So it's a uh, a multi-tiered... Well, this is something that's still developing, right? But what I need is interest from people. Uh, I can't do this by myself. It requires other people to participate. I've got some uh, guidelines on what I think the most important intention is. That being that I am the earth. I serve myself. I serve the earth. That's that's at, at the foremost conclusion that I've come to that is in common with all other inhabitants of this planet.
0: So it's an online trading platform involving a number of participants. You set an ethical type intention to raise money for a certain group. You go 50-50 on the profits. And then these signals and the way they are deciphered and 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 shared amongst this this group how how does that play out
1: okay so the inspiration i got i was traveling on a train in melbourne funny enough and there's all these people going to work and i thought wouldn't it be great to set up a uh hot spot where i could get people's i could say there's a trade on now who wants to vote on this trade you, you, so, the, the basic, and, and so that's where it derived from. I thought, oh, I could just travel around Melbourne's trains all the time, set up a hotspot. You can tune into that hotspot. It might be called uh, Organica Trading or something like that that people know about. It's like they can sit on their phones and the, and the things and say, there's a trade on. So, what it will say is, um, I, that there's two main answers. You get polled every 10 minutes or five minutes, and it's like, I'm confident with this or I'm nervous about this. And that's all. That's the two answers that you give, and the collective of that decision, and it's based on four units of people. Uh, one will be a robot, which will be the system getting a signal, and then the other three are uh, people that are participating. Uh, you come into the system with no money, so you don't actually have to have any money to begin, and you. But you give your vote once you uh, you start collecting a profit once you reach a certain set level and i was saying just say a thousand dollars of profit then you can start extracting money out for yourself but that pool of a thousand has to stay in there to be active you can uh so that's that's the base that's some of the basics i also envisage that some people aren't savvy in making decisions and aren't interested in doing that so that you you could actually have a follower so you can split your profit with a follower so I can say, I'm going to follow this person who is really active in it and he's happy to share his profit mm, with me. Proxy. Yep. And so he earns a credit that he's shared and so he can then have a holiday later and spend those credits that he's shared something so he can share with someone else. And then the other person that's following them will benefit with their profits.
0: But they provide a little bit of capital.
1: Not necessarily.
0: So you have the $1,000 worth of play money and you're going to trade up from there.
1: So Organica Nation... Or the the service provides, they got a pool of money that they they play with. But all they want is your opinion at the beginning. So um, there's there's some core people that will that will work, and it it starts with a very little amount of money, and through the power of exponentials, the profits actually. It, there's plenty of money there to be made with that, with a very small pool to begin with. What we need is people interested in basically influencing the market with their decisions and collecting from that Um, i envisage uh, there will be anti uh traders so people that want to trade against what we're trading and that's fine so there's a collective decision that's made but there's all independent groups that can manage the risk in different ways and we share the information freely with what we what we do so it's a totally open system and uh, and from that there's all these other aspects that i'd like to develop and and share information freely. That's, that's the fundamental. I feel that we are in an age now of the internet that we can share globally information and, and make it relevant and have a context of why we're doing things. If we find a more efficient way of doing something, let's share that and be more efficient. Let's work as a planet instead of as, as an individual uh, on, on, on a global scale. And So the organic nation might not be... Uh, it's not a location. The organica nation spans many people of certain types, of certain quality. So it sounds like peer-to-peer online
0: trading platform is what you're going to be utilizing the consensus of of these investors, which fits in very much with some of the regular themes here on The Renegade Economist, where the, the community is working together to make the best decisions based on supposed perfect information. And so if you have this, yes, I'm confident, no, I'm uncertain decision-making, this four, how does the final decision get made if it's 60-40 or 50-50 or something like that?
1: Okay, so the way that, that it works is that we're, ch- we're chasing, I, I like to say, a, a certain profit with a certain risk. And so as the uncertainty grows, the profit that we want diminishes and the risk we take diminishes. And so there's a ratio of like how much you're willing to keep on going and as the confidence drops off you limit your losses uh accordingly if that's that's the rules that you engage but generally there's a, a certain profit that you want to make and so we're talking about the, the the um cfd market is what i like to trade so it's a leveraged product cfd uh, yeah contracts for difference so um never heard of this okay so Uh,
0: Never traded one day. I'm going to get into it. Yeah,
1: there's lots. There's lots of things to learn about trading There's options and and all sorts of stuff. But there's been this product that's been developed by what's called market makers. So they basically like bookies. They look at what the market's doing and they provide uh, an interface to that market. Um, You invest a thousand dollars and they'll put a hundred thousand dollars on the market. Um, They have the ability to play off against each other and create their own market. But the price is a recognized price that's driven by the true market. So to influence that market, it's difficult. Uh, I'd rather not invest in shares because they're a bit more easier to manipulate. I look at indices, so that the whole the whole market as a collective. So you've got the, uh, all different countries have different markets and they move when the markets are open. So during certain times of the day, some markets are more active than other markets. Um, if you're familiar in australia you'll be familiar with the a s x two hundred mm-hmm. um, so you can research more about that so that that creates a number right of the collective of all the shares involved based on certain uh, number you know, um, fractions of how big the capitalization is to generate a number that number can be worked out from the share price. so you've got uh, two hundred different shares contributing to that price to manipulate two hundred companies is very difficult for any corporation you know they've all got their own personal interests so from that perspective i see it as a very safe random uh, number to work from
0: and so what sort of products are traded in the cfd world
1: generally they've got what's called a spread so to engage in that product like with a currency when you've ever exchanged money to buy the, the the dollar or another currency you're going to another country you pay a bit more to get it and when you sell it you get less and that difference is called a spread And that's how they make their money when you exchange money. Now, normally when you do it in the market, when you're going traveling, you might pay up to 10 cents variation. When you trade online, the spread is what's called, it's measured in pips. So if we're talking about currency, which you can do as well, I was very interested in Australian USD uh, currency, you can uh, get a spread of one to two pips. One to two pips is a hundredths of a cent variation. So we had the 10 cents when we go to the uh, local exchange, the uh, foreign exchange thing at the airport, it's about 10 cents spread. So you divide that by ten, 1 Divided by 10 is 0.1 of a cent. Divided by 10 again is is the the fraction that they charge you to go in and out. And there's no commissions on them. And it's the same for uh, the indices. Um, There's a spread of 1 to five depending on what time of day you're at but while the market's active it's normally about one to two pips depending on your market maker um the the catch with the cfds they're contracts for difference so it's actually like you're taking out a loan it's very similar to like a margin lending and they have uh, daily financing rates so if you take a long position in a market uh, it's normally the rba rate plus two percent plus or minus. And if you sell, if you short the market, then it, it's usually uh, 2% lower. But because the interest rates have been so low, it's worked out that when you're shorting, you're actually still paying a little bit. It's just not very much. Uh, you don't actually get anything back because interest rates are so low.
0: Oh, very interesting uh, to think that uh, people could work together to uh, work their way through this Myriad of information to decide how to trade, but I'm going to have to check out contracts for difference. Um, hopefully, there's not too much subprime um, type activity in those markets. Well, all sounds very interesting. I dare say, if you visit uh, p2p.foundation.net, the peer-to-peer foundation.net, and started a little uh, forum entry on this, you'd, you'd certainly find plenty of people interested in in working together to uh, a work through all the information and be work for a good cause that people support. So, uh, well done uh, f- for your initiative and it's uh, great to see more online commons type uh, thinking developing and this time in in the world of the share market where so much money is made, wouldn't it be good if some of it was uh, spent on healing this uh, precious earth? So, thanks a lot Kevin for joining us here on the Renegade Economist.
2: Thank you. Thank you. My name's Ingrid Marker and I've started a non-for-profit organisation called Cassowary Keystone Conservation.
0: And cassowaries are a huge uh, tourist draw card up here in tropical North Queensland.
2: Cassowaries are a keystone species. They're of vital importance to the rainforest as they are the major seed dispersal agent for the tropical trees. Without Cassowaries dispersing seeds in through the rainforest canopy. A lot of the species that we know will diminish as they rely very heavily on going through the digestion system of these large flightless birds. And uh,
0: you've been telling us about the predators uh, taking them out. That's fill the listeners in on uh, the challenges uh, for survival for this almost dinosaur-like bird.
2: Well, the the disturbing thing is these predators aren't a natural predator. They are our domesticated animals that we've introduced into the ecosystem and namely your domestic predatory animals or your dogs and cats. So cats are really destructive to cassowary chicks, but um, an adult bird's not going to be impacted by a cat. However, dogs are a major threat. Dogs can hunt at night. Dogs hunt in a pack dogs can track down and outrun a cassowary even though a cassowary is a very fast bird and can run at great speed through the rainforest it has no night vision doesn't move around at night at all
0: this wild dog story continues to grow and uh, you've been at the forefront of uh, bringing this this uh, damaging trend to uh, the public's attention just spell out what it's like living in an area uh, where there are how many wild dogs
2: well, we don't know. The problem is domestic predatory animals, albeit dogs, can be a huge threat on all endangered wildlife. So the dog numbers are increasing. Now dogs are also a threat and I'm flagging them as a potential threat to not just all our um, native wildlife, but to people.
0: And you live on the edge of the rainforest and how did you come into contact with uh, the kassori?
2: Well, I've been really blessed and it's been a privilege to live adjoining World Heritage Rainforest where I had a family of seven cassowaries that were frequent visitors to my property on a regular basis for over 25 years. So I knew the whole family tree of these birds. In February last year, we had the Panama disease, which is a fungal disease that attacks the banana industry. The banana farms fenced off all their properties to stop any intruding dogs, pigs and wildlife going on and spreading this potentially soil-borne disease onto their crops. In doing so, it meant that these people that were recreational hunters or other people who had dogs weren't going onto the banana farms for for their hunting practices so now we have a problem where they're going into the wet tropics which is a protected area and hunting in the wet tropics they'll go in with six dogs lose four or two dogs and come back out with those dogs now becoming a a pack of wild dogs
0: and you were saying that up to 30 dogs at a time can be in these packs that sounds pretty ferocious
2: Oh yeah, definitely. You and I going in there for a picnic, we're um, we basically potentially are putting our life on the line if a pack of dogs came came along and found us on the side of the creek having a swim.
0: And living abutting the rainforest, you told a harrowing story of one such occasion that you experienced.
2: Yeah, the dogs actually have killed all seven of my cassowaries over a four-month period. I caught two of the dogs. Just last year? Yes, just last year. I did capture two of the dogs in national park traps within the wet tropics. Um, I also did four months of... photographic work with National Parks cameras videoing the evidence. Unfortunately, we couldn't use that evidence because it's the property of National Parks. But we actually documented and caught the dogs, but Council released the dogs as a first-time offence because the dogs come under the Companion Dog Act. And so I subsequently learnt that the laws are very ambiguous with how we manage the dog problem. After all the cassowaries had been mauled to death, basically... He, um, the dogs then broke into my home on four separate occasions and boweded me up inside my kitchen and in my TV room on quite a few occasions
0: wow and how do you get rid of uh, screeching dogs
2: uh, well um, you in ca- your house yeah, well was my first point of call was obviously because it was 10 o'clock on a Saturday night was to call the local police the police did not attend they deemed that um, roaming dogs and dangerous dogs was a council matter and to take it up with council on monday morning which i did but council said um, they couldn't act
0: and so it sounds like there's a jurisdictional issue as well that these dogs roam over a local state and national
2: jurisdicted land that's right. So it's a very discriminatory laws. So people in the suburbs have to register their dogs for a fee and microchip their dogs and be responsible dog owners. Yeah. Um, many people subject to the Shire can actually... Not register their dog for a fee, which means the it's discriminatory for in the first instance, but also the council has insufficient revenue to in order to um, apply after hours and weekend emergency call out um, rangers to come and collect problem dogs. So these dogs don't just attack wildlife, they also attack our civil liberties and our social freedoms to feel safe in our natural environment. So, you know, children riding their push bikes to school, you know, playing in parks, people trying to exercise, walk along the beaches are all impacted. And I think the biggest thing it does is it takes away from our happy – well, not the biggest thing, one of many – is it removes our happiness index. Because if you've got a really happy, healthy streetscape and community that all of a sudden has regular barking dogs or your neighbour that you get on really well with, their dogs escape and chase your child, it it causes fractions in relationships within a community – And it's really problematic because people don't want to report on their friends and neighbours for problem dogs for two reasons. They're worried about reprisals or they think council won't act on their complaints. Yeah,
0: well, I certainly feel that with the yapping dog next to to us back in Braybrook. But uh, what is uh, the way forward? I mean, you you talked about, you know, these dogs calling them pig dogs, uh, Mm. all of the big gnarly uh, hunting dogs that they get in packs of 30 odd and, Mm. and tear apart all sorts of wildlife now what's the government doing about this
2: Well, the government has put up a wild dog fence and the wild dog fence is um, an initiative that costs the Australian taxpayers $65 million annually to maintain. It um, runs sort of basically from just below Lamington National Park, right across um, the New South Wales-Queensland border and right down. It's one of the biggest fences in the world and it leads right into the rabbit-proof fence, if you can see the irony in that. And unfortunately, it's... pure its function is to actually keep livestock safe from roaming dogs which means that the the wildlife is well the dogs now can impact on all our wildlife and are feeding on the wildlife instead of our domestic livestock
0: and so uh, in a way uh Uh, This problem has been uh, pushed away from commerce and industry, uh, agriculture, and and onto the commons where uh, these wild dogs are just tearing things apart. Exactly. So that's a a sad outcome uh, from government, and you wonder what we can do to to really get to the bottom of this. So what are you advocating?
2: I'm advocating that everybody be a responsible dog owner, that everybody microchips registers their dog for a fee that covers the enforcement for all dogs including after hours and all dogs should be desexed unless you apply for an exemption for having a desexed dog and that's just so that if any dog and they don't always have to be a big aggressive dog it can even be a little dog a little dog running up the road who cause it, can potentially cause a car accident, if that dog's not microchipped and registered, the insurance company has to foot the bill for what's actually happened. And it's a, if you own a dog, basically you're 100% responsible for all liabilities and its actions.
0: We all have to be responsible for our actions, don't we? That's right. And uh, it's a real growing concern amongst many people in rural communities, what's happening to their livestock. And here you are representing what's happening to uh, some of the last remaining cassowary left. Uh, What's happened to the cassowary in terms of population numbers?
2: Cassowaries are in a severe decline, in my opinion, but it's not just cassowaries. We're talking tree kangaroos, quolls, bilbies, All of our our natural and national heritage is at risk here. So is our social freedoms. We have a right to feel safe. And that's what I'm advocating. I'm trying to be a voice for the voiceless. I have written a private members bill that is being looked at by the EDO at the moment, Environmental Defender's Office, and is going to be presented soon. And so moving forward with that, I'm hoping that the politicians actually see that we've got to actually prevent, this is something that we need to prevent this problem getting any bigger before we actually lose it and it's totally outside our control. The other thing that I'd like to add is if rabies was ever to get into our country, we'd be in a very...
0: We'd be in lots of trouble.
2: Yes. (laughs)